0: Welcome to Pop Psych 101,
1: where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad
0: and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts,
1: break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape.
0: We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy.
1: This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Brian Engelstead, Here as always with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Haley, welcome back.
0: Hello. Third time is a charm.
1: We got it down. This is easy. <laughs> so Haley, we are talking today about The Woman in the Window, a recent oh. Netflix movie that has uh, what's commonly known as an unreliable narrator.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, maybe.
1: And, you know, it's... Well, we don't, I guess that's the thing. You don't know yeah. if it's an unreliable narrator or not, mm-hmm. right? Because we're experiencing it from her perspective. So we're going to get into all that, but I thought it would be fun um, to go sort of our own unreliable narration. Um, are you familiar with the game Two Truths and a Lie?
0: Yes, I am usually very good at it.
1: Okay, good. Well, we're going to put that to the test. So for the yeah. audience, if you don't know Two Truths and a Lie, um, Haley and I will both give each other three facts about ourselves. And the other will have to figure out what is true and what is the lie. Much as we had to constantly feel like we were figuring out, watching a woman in the window. Um, so, Haley, I'm going to let you go first. You, right. you give me your three facts, and I see, I will see how good of a lie detector I am.
0: Okay. Excellent. Okay. So, I can speak three languages. I have lived in six different countries. And I have never gone a year of my life without being on an airplane.
1: Never a year in your whole entire life. My
0: whole entire life from the that's, moment I that's was. The...
1: Man, that would be very impressive. <laughs> um okay, so I'm 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 in between that and the six countries, which seems like a lot, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the airplane. There has to have been a year in which you did not fly.
0: That is true. I have never gone a year of my life without being on an aeroplane at least I would guess twice. Wow. Somewhere and back. Yeah.
1: Wow.
0: I know. I had a passport before wow. I was one year old.
1: Well, that's pretty cool. I that's know. a cool fact.
0: So then of the okay. other two, six countries or three languages, which one is true and which one is false?
1: See, well, I was thinking countries <laughs> was going to be false, uh-huh. but now I'm questioning that too.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> I told you. I'm is gonna...
1: it languages? Is not true.
0: Languages is not true. I only. speak Oh three. man!
1: See, I just, I just assumed, I just assumed you spoke three languages.
0: That's so funny. Well, also, having never gone a year of my life without being on a plane and having lived in six countries, speaking three languages sure. wouldn't be that crazy.
1: Right, I, and you know, it's, it's a well-chosen three facts on your part because <laughs> once I had all three of those, I figured at least two were a given. Um, and I picked, I picked the wrong two. That's um,
0: so funny.
1: All right, well done. Well, all right, well, I guess um, I will go. Hopefully you did better than I did. Um, all right, fact number one, I have performed stand-up on stage. Okay. Stand-up comedy. Fact number two, I am a published author. I'm happy to give more details if you're curious about any of these. Um, And fact number three, I've been to the White House in the United States of America in Washington, D.C. more than one time in my life.
0: 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Okay. That's
1: correct. That's the one. So,
0: the second one was published author. So, I think that the first one is a misdirect. Now, this is going to be one of those moments where you're like, Haley, your memory sucks because it ruins everything. So you told me <laughs> that you have done stand-up once, but it was a Zoom show, and your fact said that you've done it on stage. So I'm going with that one being the lie.
1: Haley, your memory sucks. I can't believe <laughs> I, I you remember that I told you that. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was a misdirect. And I, I'm now imagining that this movie we're about to talk about was very boring for you. Did you just know exactly what happened from the beginning?
0: <laughs> no, actually, I didn't see it coming at all. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, all right. However,
0: I think you've also shared that your wife can usually like figure out what's going to happen in movies. And I can 100%. do that too, usually. But I didn't see it happening in this movie um, at all. Mm. So, but we do want to hear about this published book. We do want to hear about that.
1: So it's, I would not say that this is a full misdirect, um, but I am a published author in the sense that um, a poem that I wrote in Mm. like seventh or eighth grade was um, like accepted into a national poetry book or like competition thing. So a book exists with a poem that I wrote and that makes me a published author, right? I think that's yeah. not, that's not being disingenuous.
0: No, right. absolutely. We are and twins? I, yeah. I also got a poem published in a book when I was in my like preteen years.
1: Wow. How I about know. that?
0: We have so much in common. I'm sorry that I have such a good memory and ruined the game.
1: No, that's okay. <laughs> I, when I was trying to come up with my facts, that's, that I was, you know, it's hard for me to lie. Um, my wife would tell you that. And, and, you know, Exactly. I, I just have a hard time telling lies about myself, yeah, um, because I'm always inclined to have something true about it.
0: <laughs> well, so that's the thing, right? Um, that's the way you win, like usually win this game, is by having it as like real as possible. So I took too something that feels close, to me. yeah, yeah, totally, yep, yep. Um, awesome, very cool.
1: All right. Well, there we go. So um, so let's try and figure out our, our main characters' truths and lies. Um, well, I guess we, we, not necessarily lies, but truths and
0: well, there's uh, half-truths from
1: what we were experiencing. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into the woman in the window right after this break.
0: Everyone's talking about mental health these days. But what about severe mental illness? It's more common than you might think. Did you know that one in 100 people lives with schizophrenia?
1: That's why the BC Schizophrenia Society has launched a brand new podcast called Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined.
0: Host Phaedra Aldridge talks to doctors, families, and people with lived experience about how to recognize mental illness and the specific treatments that can help. Check it out. They'll really challenge you to look again at what you think you know about mental illness.
1: You can find them on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners.
0: We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories and therefore spoilers abound.
1: So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. The Woman in the Window is a 2021 American psychological thriller film directed by Joe Wright from a screenplay by Tracy Letts, based on the 2018 novel of the same name by pseudonymous author A.J. Finn. The film follows an agoraphobic woman, played by Amy Adams, who begins to spy on her new neighbors, played by Gary Oldman, Fred Heikinger, and Julianne Moore, and is a witness to a crime in their apartment. Anthony Mackie, Wyatt Russell, Brian Tyree, Henry, and Jennifer Jason Lee also star. So we are introduced to, uh, I think she's a doctor, Dr. Anna Fox, played by Amy Adams, um, at the outset as a woman um, in at least a little bit of a crisis. So all we know about her, as when we meet her, is that she's agoraphobic, doesn't want to go out, and it's Halloween, mm-hmm. and things rapidly get much, much worse for her. Yes. And we learn that um, that's not the beginning of Anna's problems. No. So, so yeah. So Haley, and maybe it makes sense to start with the agoraphobia because that's sort of what we're introduced to her as, like her main problem, and it, it's it feels uh, in some ways reminiscent of how you and I might meet a patient sort of like, okay, what's the reason that you're coming in for treatment now? Mm -hmm. And then sort of what that initial thing that we learn about kind of is the bridge to everything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for agoraphobia, um, you know, more or less, and correct me if I'm wrong here, sort of fear of being in public spaces or fear of being outside of the home.
0: Mm -hmm. For various reasons.
1: You know, I don't know how common it is. It feels like it's one of those phobias that's very often discussed, but it's not often, like, very well known. Is that fair to say?
0: Um, what do you mean not very well known?
1: Well, in the sense of, like, we all know um, what agoraphobia is. I'm doing mm-hmm. air quotes as I say that. But yeah. um, sort of an actual portrayal of this, I think, is really interesting because it's it goes a lot deeper than I think people necessarily think.
0: Yeah. And also I think when people, I mean, we often do this with um, mental health labels. We think like if somebody struggles with something that is a thing that they have forever. And I, I think agoraphobia is one of those things where um, people think like, Oh, they're agoraphobic. Right. And
1: yes. Right. It's a, it's a shorthand for like people that are shy almost.
0: Yeah. And also like People can think that, oh, this person always hates being outside and they always have and they always will, whereas agoraphobia actually is, I think, more commonly like a reaction to something um, and is, I think, probably more fleeting for a lot of people on I just looked it up and it says um, an estimated 1.3% of U.S. adults experience agoraphobia at some point in their lives. Um, And I think that's Mm. kind of what I'm speaking to, which is um, it's not this thing that someone has and they have it forever. It can be something that shows up for a while, which seems to be the case for Anna.
1: Exactly. That we, we have a sense that this is sort of a recent development because we know that she is a child psychologist. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, from what we're observing, we're not seeing her and I granted it's sort of a short time span that the movie takes place in, but we're not seeing her work in this time span. And there's a Uh pretty clear sense that she hasn't been working for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's been, at least it seems that way. way. Yeah. Well, it's, would be pretty hard unless she was doing telehealth to do the work. Right. Right. Of course.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's funny you, said, you just looked it up because I'm, I'm also doing my own research as we're talking. And I think in many places, agoraphobia is broadened to be identified as fear of being in situations or places where uh, escape might be difficult or that yes. help wouldn't be available to them. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's actually a more useful definition for Anna because we learn about um, her sort of associations with help being available to her.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, And it it feels more and more that that's maybe at the root of what's going on for her, as opposed to just sort of fear of being in public.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so agoraphobia is an anxiety disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of these anxiety disorders, the way they manifest looks different. And what it all boils down to is, is attempts to control your anxiety, right? Whether it's, OCD and attempting to make it feel um, less extreme by going through certain rituals or agoraphobia and trying to stay home so that you aren't in a situation where help isn't available. Um, And then for like panic attacks, often the thing that most frequently induces panic attacks is the fear that you're going to have a panic attack. And so Mm, a lot of these manifestations of anxiety whether it's agoraphobia or ocd or panic attacks are attempts to not feel the feelings that we have inside and trying to control them and she has a lot because she has such intense grief
1: yeah yeah so obviously spoiler alert i mean it probably makes sense for us just to acknowledge the sort of history of anna's um trauma because Um, even though the movie kind of waits until the very end or almost the very end to kind of reveal what's been going on for Anna, mm-hmm. um, it probably makes sense for us to kind of talk about her trauma in the context of the reality that we learn at the end, which is that mm-hmm. um, uh, I guess 10 months prior to the events of the movie, um, Anna, her husband, and their daughter um, were in a very serious car accident while out driving in the snow. Um, and sadly, um, Anna's husband and daughter died in that accident.
0: Yeah.
1: I guess ever since then, Anna has been struggling with these agoraphobia symptoms. Yeah. So when we kind of lay it out like that, then it kind of makes a lot, a lot more sense of, yeah. you know, and even there's a, there's that sort of sp- specific part of that scene when she calls 911 um, after the she kind of comes to after the car accident and the sort of no service available thing comes up and it's like okay she was in this very extreme situation in which she needed help and help was not available to her
0: yep well and then also frequently throughout the movie she freaks out when she doesn't have her phone near her um very true yep she kind of grasps
1: for it and freaks out yeah
0: and it seems pretty standard. I mean, a lot of us are like, where did I put my phone?
1: Totally. However,
0: when you see this piece where she needed her phone and she had it but didn't have service, it becomes very clear why having her phone on her is so meaningful to her. Um and then because it's another attempt to control that agorapho or the anxiety.
1: Right, because it's a it's a literal lifeline and she has oh. more you know, less than ideal experiences with uh, calling for help throughout the course of the movie. Yes. Right? She she calls nine one one when she hears noise in her apartment, but it was just her tenant. You know, she calls nine one one when she uh, witnesses a murder, and they are less than uh, supportive or less than validating when they mm-hmm. come to her aid. Um, so she has these sort of, in many ways, like re-traumatizations of this experience of when I call for help, help does not come or the right mm-hmm. kind of help doesn't come.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it, unfortunately really, uh, sort of seals in some of the, like it validates her fear yeah. of public spaces or fear of being in a situation where help's not available to her because even when she calls for help and help comes, it's still not really helpful.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And what a metaphor for having your phone and not having service, right? Having the police yeah, in your exactly. house and not having them listen.
1: Yeah. And and I don't know about you, but I think this, this idea of, you know, being uh, accepting of help and ready to ask for help mm-hmm. and that help either not coming or... The help that comes being unhelpful as a broad experience is something that's very common, actually, um, for people that come into therapy. It's like, oh, you know, um, is this the first time you've been in therapy? These sort of standard initial questions. And it's like, well, you know, I've been experiencing these symptoms for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, when we sort of talk about why haven't you reached out for help? Well, you know, my parents didn't believe me or. Mm-hmm. You know my husband um was making uh not making fun of it but like you know maybe making light of it things like mm-hmm. that um so those sort of invalidating experiences can be incredibly difficult to overcome and then seek out help anyway
0: yeah well and also unfortunately there are some therapists that can not offer the help that a patient needs right which Is why it's really important for people to remember, both therapists and people seeking out therapy, that the fit with your therapist is a huge thing. Like the relationship with your therapist is a huge thing. So if you've been seeking help and you find someone and you meet with them and you are like, their vibe does not make me feel heard or I feel like they don't understand me or I'm just weirded out by this experience or I don't like this experience... Try another therapist if you have that option. Um, and hopefully in most cases you should have that option. Yeah, because that's kind of what it comes down to is if you want help and you're ready to to seek it out, um, finding the right help is equally as important as just finding any help.
1: Yeah, I mean, every every research study on the effectiveness of therapy kind of yeah. reveals that, right? That the quality of the relationship... Um, is like the biggest predictor of success. So yeah, mm-hmm. if you don't have, uh, the right kind of supporter, if you don't feel supported, um, don't hesitate to seek out some other type of support. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah. And it's interesting. You and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording this. Um, it's not super common for us to see a mental health professional, um, in a mental health crisis.
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah, because Anna is a psychologist.
1: Yes, yeah. and she references that a handful of times. We don't see her um, practicing,
0: no.
1: so it's well, not really a, no. a plot point itself, I guess. Uh huh. All right, so I guess her her relationship with the the um, neighborhood boy, who now I'm going to have to pull up his name, Ethan. Ethan, yes, thank you. Is sort of her version of working. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's not in the professional context. No, certainly not. not in
0: a lot of questionable choices.
1: Right. Yes. So I think it's you know probably interesting for people to you know to view a mental health professional experiencing a mental health crisis. And I say mm-hmm. that because I've seen you know questions on social media, or um, you know I, I answer questions on Quora sometimes, and I've seen this question, which is basically more or less you know. Since therapists or psychologists or sort of mental health experts can they cure themselves or can they treat themselves? And I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many times I've seen a question like that, and and it sort of implies that we're like superhuman. I don't know, somehow resilient or resistant, yeah, to, to mental health issues. And just like doctors get sick, um, you know, mental health clinicians uh, can suffer from mental health issues. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So in that sense, I'm glad that they acknowledge that. But Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I use the metaphor, I think I've used it on here before, which is when you're on stage, it's hard to see what's going on with the other characters around you. And that metaphor, I think, is for why it's important sometimes to go to therapy, because you have somebody who's sitting out in the audience looking at your whole stage and we as therapists are not immune to that. We are also on our own stage. So sometimes, even though we might have everybody's lines memorized, we still need somebody in the audience kind of saying like, yeah, but the way these two players interact kind of isn't working or that kind of thing to be pretty metaphorical about it.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot because just because we're able to help other people do this work,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: we, we could have all the sort of skills uh, memorized mm-hmm. that we want. But at the end of the day, sometimes you need that other person's perspective on your experience and your ability to kind of share your experience unencumbered to then have that reflected back by someone else. Like that's where the value comes often, right? Yeah. Um, and we do see briefly um, Anna's. Uh, session with her therapist um, towards Mm -hmm. the end of her crisis of a week. Um, Well, there's one at the beginning as
0: well.
1: That's right. Yes, I forgot that one. Yeah, I'm more just thinking back to the, (laughs) yes, I'm more just thinking back to the session that uh, he says, we're going to have to up your sessions to three times a week. And I remember just sort of audibly gasping, because that's that's a heavy uh, treatment protocol. Um, and granted, Anna might need that based on her condition. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I guess my, my instinct when I heard that was, well, if she's that much in crisis, like maybe she needs intensive outpatient or maybe uh-huh. she needs uh, partial hospitalization. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure why even those options weren't raised when she recorded a suicide video more or less. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, so apparently she attempted suicide as well, right? Because in that first therapy session, he says, people who attempt suicide lose the right to joke about it. Which I had my own issues with that statement as itself, because I think humor is an incredible coping mechanism. Um, I think when people use humor to deflect and not face what they're struggling with, then it's problematic. However, when humor is used to engage with what they're going through, I'm like, joke away, man.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I was going to say, but Anna does have this sort of tendency throughout the movie. We see her do this sort of like half laugh in response uh-huh. to stressors. So I'm wondering, you know, if if the doctor has, uh, if her, her therapist has sort of experienced this sort of coping mechanism or coping attempt on Anna's part, if she just sort of like, laughs instead of cries um which is like a cliche but um but certainly something that could be the case for someone like anna who's experienced a lot of trauma and maybe has not fully processed it
0: yeah well and definitely hasn't right because she kind of right of course as we see yeah her family is still alive so it totally makes sense that she could use humor in addition to plain denial (laughs) Yeah, that first therapy session was wild for me. I thought like he was standing in the window when their session started and she like asked him if he wanted to sit down. And I was sitting there watching being like, wait, who's the therapist here? And then a few minutes later, you find out that she is also a therapist, but it's her therapy session. But his like total cavalier casual nature at the beginning of that therapy session I was like what is happening and yeah
1: because he's super disconnected it felt like yeah
0: Yeah. he wasn't even looking at her he was looking out the window and and I Mm -hmm. like wonder if sometimes therapists are more casual with other therapists because it's almost like oh we understand the like boundaries so we don't have to maintain them as much um but it's
1: that same assumption like you get what's happening here.
0: Yeah.
1: Um like you know what this is, what we're doing so we can kind of just cut to the chase, right? Yeah. Um as if like you know the the relationship doesn't matter that much and and it's just yeah, super because, super weird.
0: Yeah, not a good choice I don't think. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, so there were some problems with this movie and you know we we start to kind of get this experience that Anna is having, you know, so obviously the m- movie is told through obviously mostly Anna's perspective because we're not seeing um, well, I guess maybe maybe we are. It's, it's so interesting right? Because we are experiencing what she's experiencing, but then we are told that what she's experiencing is false or fake or hallucinated and so we're kind of experiencing this um, roller coaster along mm-hmm. with her
0: we only find out that she's quote unquote hallucinating when she finds out she's hallucinating. We literally never leave the home. So we do see the whole story kind of from her perspective.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and it starts to, for me, I started to get suspicious. I mean, talking about when did you know something was off? I mean, um, uh, Julianne Moore's character I just had a weird, got a weird vibe from. And mm-hmm. it turned out she was just a weird character. But, and it wasn't that like, oh, I don't think this person's here in real life. But mm-hmm. more just like, what is this person's deal? And what is happening what? in this this sort of interpersonal dynamic, right? Because yeah. it was fascinating to see a person who, uh, as we know, is agoraphobic, but who's also uh, capable of interacting with a stranger as a, mm-hmm. an essentially a stranger in their own home. You know, yeah. uh, uh, Anna woke up from a panic attack following this sort of uh, egging attack on Halloween. Uh-huh. And she wakes up to Julianne Moore's character, uh, basically taking care of her and yeah. asking her name and does she know what day it is? And I think that's sort of an interesting you know, question, because I imagine for people watching this, knowing this person's agoraphobic is it's like, wait a second. Like, so she can't handle going outside, but like all these other things happen inside of her residence and she's just sort of like, Oh yeah, no, you can stay random stranger. You can, um, like, she's just sort of in, in other senses, like sort of very trusting and able to kind of put some of that anxiety aside. Yeah. Like, was that, does that feel inconsistent to you? Or is that consistent as far as your,
0: yeah, so I it is inconsistent. However, anxiety is weird, man. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, if we think about how someone can be weirded out by a snake, but not a lizard, right? They can like be afraid of snakes, but not afraid of lizards, or will be, yeah, you know, a chatterbox with one cousin but refuse to talk to another cousin right like people kind of think like that doesn't make any sense however what it comes down to is what is your desired control right so if she feels yep. like she can control her whole environment if it's in her house then yeah invite people over have people come over etc etc if she's a therapist she probably has pretty good social skills so The fact that she is able to build this relationship in her home is not that strange i think where the weird inconsistency is is she was not comfortable with ethan being anywhere near her home and then suddenly she was like willing to have david from downstairs come in her home and this julianne moore character just like hang out in her home and drink wine and ethan can come over whenever and hello alistair um suddenly anybody was allowed in her home. And I felt that in terms of accuracy, that was pretty inaccurate.
1: Yeah. So that's why the sort of the confusing, do we trust Anna as, as someone who's sort of sharing her experience starts to feel off for me. Um, And then obviously, you know, the sort of turning point is we, you know, Anna becomes increasingly interested in her neighbor's comings and goings. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the night that she hears the scream and uh, she asks her tenant, uh, you know, did he hear the scream? No. Um, and kind of nothing else really comes of that. He's She sort of spies and sees some some tense interactions. So we see this sort of I guess we would describe it as paranoia developing, which can mm-hmm. come from from anxiety, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. And also um, psychosis comes along yes. with paranoia frequently.
1: Yeah, and there's some weird scenes, and I think this is them sort of trying to illustrate Anna's potential psychosis, right, mm-hmm. is... You know tilted camera angles and some weird imagery and the sort of tv and screen influences and i guess mm-hmm. you know as you're watching that um because i think of the film critic comes out of me of like you know we, we're stepping a little bit out of reality and into like a very metaphorical uh, imagery uh, based portrayal of a character's struggle Mm-hmm. Right. And sort of how effective that is in giving the audience a clue into what's going on for them internally.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, I think some of the decisions that the filmmakers made that illustrated this kind of chaotic mindset was, even though they like labeled how time was passing, it didn't feel correct, right? Like, they're like, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you're like, it feels like it's been a month.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: And then also because she's falling asleep and waking up and passing out and waking up and in all, all weird times that also makes the sense of reality feel strange. And then also frequently her TV is on just talking and that's kind of off putting, um, And then also, again, we only ever see anything from inside the house. Other than when she's in the hospital, every single thing that we see is only inside the house. Like everything that we see from is always inside the house. So that's also illustrating her viewpoint and kind of her mindset because we never go outside to gather information.
1: Right. So we're experiencing this sort of haze along with her, right? She's sleeping. She's awake she's um drinking you know and and there's these there's these different aspects of her experience the medication the drinking um that we i think start to feel a little unsettled with her it's like what is really going on here um and then we have the uh murder right we have um this experience of uh anna Witnessing what turns out to be a very real murder, um, calling the police, and then sort of not uh, being believed because the person that she says was murdered uh, Mm -hmm. and then claims to be right there. Yeah. So for me, this starts to get into, you know, people, and it's not just people dealing with psychosis, but people in general Mm -hmm. dealing with mental health symptoms and those symptoms or those experiences um, not being believed. Sometimes, directly because they are dealing with mental health issues or just Mm -hmm. because it doesn't fit, you know, um, their family or their neighbor's experiences. So it's just sort of like,
0: you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So the thought that came to my mind, and I can't believe I didn't think of it earlier, but it was the boy who cried wolf. Sure. So the boy becomes an unreliable reporter because the four times he said there was a wolf there he was lying so then the fifth time when he says there's a wolf nobody believes him and with Anna or Anna she isn't lying however she also is not kind of giving enough meaningful evidence and so they immediately write her off as crying wolf even though She's not. She's actually giving them accurate information, but because of how she's dressed and her mental health and the medication that she's on and her history, um, people immediately just go like, "Oh, well, she's." They're probably going to use the word "crazy," right? Oh, she's crazy.
1: Yeah, and and that's the the problematic word, oftentimes, right? Yep. Is. That, that's such a, a write-off. That's such a way to invalidate anyone's um, experiences. If, yeah. as if they're crazy, then you can just sort of discount anything else that they say. Mm-hmm. And she says in one of those climactic scenes, like I, I, you all think I'm crazy. And they probably do. Um, and I guess from their perspective, um, they have good reason to do so as, as it kind of gets consistently pointed out. Um, she's on medication, she drinks and that that should just be enough information for people to not trust her.
0: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know where that thin line between an unreliable reporter and a reliable moment falls.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and you know, we could imagine, you know, obviously uh, Anna was not seeing her therapist 3 times a week at during this week, But it's sort of interesting to to imagine what those sessions might have been like, right? Because all we hear is, I guess, what turns out to be imaginary conversations with her. who We found out is to be her passed away, her dead husband. In which she's sort of telling him all these things that are happening over the course of the week. And he's just kind of also invalidating her. Just sort of like, you know, telling her that, um, not that she's crazy necessarily, but just that she kind of needs to like needs to relax, needs to drop it, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, would I hope the therapist would have taken her seriously? um, Because that's sort of the job, right? But it's also, as a therapist, it can be difficult when you know, um, especially when it comes to medication, that if hallucinations are a possible side effect, Mm -hmm. um, sort of how to have conversations with patients, who, you know, could be hallucinating some of the events that they're reporting. Yeah. It's a really difficult skill.
0: Yeah, it's a very difficult skill. And then also, again, her therapist is wild. Yeah. Because when she's trying to talk to him, he is like, what's going on in the neighborhood? Which I was trying to sit there and be like, okay, if I gave this guy more credit, what do I think he's trying to do by guiding it in this direction? Um, And I can't remember what direction she was trying to go, but he kept on asking about what's going on in the neighborhood, what's going on in the neighborhood. So then when she later says to her husband, quote unquote, says to her husband that, oh, I think he's trying to control my mind or something like that. I'm like, yeah it kind of felt that way, right? Where every time she tried to give a thought, he would redirect it towards another topic and it was very off-putting. So almost the sense of he wasn't giving her chance to be a reliable reporter. He was kind of asking her about the gossip she had noticed.
1: Right. Yeah, and when when I think in that way, it almost kind of feeds into the... The negative behavior, right? Because oh. I think it's it's pretty clear that all that sort of spying is not good for Anna, um, even if it's kind of like giving her something to do, to sort of be engaged with her environment. It's not really a healthy engagement.
0: Yeah. Very strange engagement. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and he does say in that second session, like, she needs other people around, right? So this, yes. uh, the tenant is finally uh-huh. leaving, right before the climax of the movie, and... Um, that's when he says he'll meet with her three times a week. And I sort of thought myself, you know, I mean, and this would be a struggle for someone with agoraphobia is like, how do you make sure you have enough, uh, support, right? If you're not going to mm-hmm. go out and interact with your community or your friends or your family outside of your home, um, your support options become super, super limited. You know, we don't hear much about, Anna's extended family or, um, her husband's extended family so we don't really get much of a sense of um what other support options she has available to her but she is extremely isolated which for anyone dealing with mental health struggles is um a precarious position to be in
0: yeah she has absolutely no one of her own she spends all of her time by herself unless david happens to come looking for boxes or unless she's you know staring at the neighbors who then find their way into her home. Um, but other, and, and her therapist, other than that, she's completely isolated all the time. And, you know, I think with someone who is as, um, intensely agoraphobic and anxious as she is three sessions a week is essentially intensive outpatient, right? It's it's not the yes, traditional yes. sense of it. So I do think that is what she needs. However, I also would feel curious about, as a therapist, you don't want your patients to be reliant on you as their entire support right. system. That That's not helpful for anyone. It's not helpful for you as the therapist, but it's particularly not helpful for your patient. So when you brought up the like three times a week thing, I was like, "Well, she could probably use it." And then, in addition to a greater support system, in addition to other relationships.
1: Well, right, and that's why I sort of brought up the the intensive outpatient because that typically, along with a therapist relationship, you get group therapy, you get a psychiatrist. Um, so it's sort of all of these levels of support that. For someone in crisis, becomes uh, extra helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Is talking to other people with your experiences. And look, I, you know, I know a lot of IOPs are doing virtual right now. Um, uh-huh. Not that this uh, movie is set in in during COVID uh, necessarily, <laughs> obviously. Um, but if we were talking about someone who is experiencing a crisis like this, you know, over the past year, um, there are IOPs for people with agoraphobia that you could attend group from your home. Um, And I think that that's a really valuable resource where even if you're not out in public, you are interacting with other people. Um, You're getting sort of a a reflection of reality in that experience. And that's really valuable, you know, whether you're hallucinating or not.
0: Yeah. Well, and I agree. I think that would be like an an initial great step, right? Creating these relationships within the control and comfort of your own home. However, at a certain point, it would be important for her to leave her home for these relationships. And yeah. as a values-based therapist, we would leverage like, what's more important, controlling your anxiety and you're feeling anxious anyway, or engaging in these relationships and feeling anxious anyway?
1: Yeah. Right. Because that it's clear that that anxiety is present kind of no matter what.
0: Yeah. She wouldn't be drinking all the time if it wasn't.
1: Right. Exactly. She has enough uncomfortable interactions that her anxiety is justified in many cases. I mean, yeah, she learns her tenants yeah. on parole. You know, she she's a witness to some pretty traumatic behavior across yeah. the street. You know, whether she should have been watching or not, it's not really the point at that point. She no, saw it. All. Right. Yeah. So then you have to deal with it. Um,
0: and even before yeah. all of that, like her anxiety is isn't. She. Her whole family died. She was driving. Like, there's going to be so much grief and trauma and anxiety and all sorts of things that show up for her. So the fact that she's doing everything she can to control her experience is not surprising whatsoever. We just would want her to be able to return to a life that's fulfilling and meaningful, not weirdly chronological, than watching the neighbors.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I guess in in sort of processing through the end of this movie, right, so we have this sort of climactic scene where um, she sort of once again, uh, you know, calls the police and, you know, sort of um, tries to to confront... Although you know, I thought one of the things that was weird was like when the police show up at her house, then the neighbors also come over. I was like, "Wow, that was super weird." Yeah, obviously they were problematic uh, as we learned, but just sort of like that was a red flag for me, and sort of played out that way. Um, But so we see this, and and she says, "You know, I talked to my husband," and the sort of uh, very poor bedside manner detective just kind of says you know, your family is dead. And then sort of, we get this flashback, right? We see the flashback of, of the car accident. And then we see the overturned car essentially in her living room. And we're ex- experiencing this realization with Anna of um sort of what the twirling snowflakes were, what the, um what these voices have been. And, you know, I wanted to ask you as a, as a therapist, you know and and this is spoiling our typical question but how how real did this feel to you um as a sort of break and it's not necessarily a breakthrough as much as it is like she had been establishing a reality for a period of time and that reality was forcibly confronted
0: yeah um I do think a quote-unquote, forcible confrontation can definitely work. It definitely doesn't work the way it did in the movie, right? So someone just goes like, oh, your family's dead. And then she's like, oh, right. Yes, they are. And then suddenly snaps back into reality and then goes through this huge event that forces her outside and then ultimately to the hospital. And then she's just like, not struggling with agoraphobia anymore. And even though I went through this hugely traumatic thing, like I've got makeup on and I look great and I'm selling my house and I'm just walking around it casually. And that's not, that's not how that happens. <laughs> um, it'd be nice. Right, of if course. It did, right. Um the way you and I did therapy would look very different and happen much more quickly if that's how it worked. So I think that was kind of my concern with that was. So I thought that it was go- going to end after, the um basically after she finds out that her family's dead and then she records the suicide video Mm, um yeah i kind of expected that's where the movie was gonna end i expected it to kind of be one of those indie like well that movie kind of didn't really have an ending just Um, sort of
1: like super sad dark ending yeah yeah (laughs)
0: yeah um and i was like oh okay well that's one way to do that. Um, It definitely did not feel psychologically accurate in terms of how people confront months of denial.
1: Right. And this is sort of the trope, and, and this is, you know, in some ways, the difference between a movie and a show where you could kind of slow play this, Uh, growth process Um, whereas with the movie it's okay this major trauma happened but the trauma uh, almost allowed her to confront the other trauma and it's like oh now she realizes that you know her experiences are real and she can trust herself and maybe the outside world is scary but it's also uh normal or something you know we we don't get a lot of exposition about why she's all of a sudden able to do the things that she did um but she does them so that's that's sort of um and i'm glad you said that because i think and look in movies i think it's it's so tempting right to portray whether it's a psychotic break or uh uh, some experiences of trauma in these sort of very artsy ways right Mm -hmm. oh let's put the overturned car in the living room as if she's seeing it right then and there Mm -hmm. and that's her coming to the realization that yes of course i know my i flipped the car over of Mm -hmm. course i know they're dead um and you know, I think we're assuming that that doesn't actually happen for people. Um, that, yes, of course, hallucinations are a real thing, but this being a sort of very overly dramatized version yeah. of that.
0: Yeah, it was Yeah, it was definitely kind of light switch therapy, even though no therapy happened in that moment, right? I, which I think right, is often yeah. portrayed in movies, which is this person has this thing and it is the the light bulb that turns on and then everything's fine. And frequently the light bulb turning on is the moment when things get really hard in therapy, because now suddenly oh, exactly yeah. you have to take that insight that you have and figure out how it fits into this world you've created. Um, whether that's, I give
1: yeah, no, I'm just picturing, you know, again, the this is and, and obviously as a therapist, I just want more therapy scenes. But like, I, I'm just imagining her telling her therapist. Yeah, I realized that I had been having all these conversations with my husband. And of course, I know he's not alive. Um, but it like, for the therapist to hear that specific symptom uh-huh. would have been really useful in making sure she was getting the appropriate care, whether that's the right medication yeah. or checking and, and confirming if she's drinking while well on that medication and whether that's a, mm-hmm. a complication, yeah. you know, that sort of that part of the treatment would have been really valuable in and helping us understand, Oh, okay. So she wasn't telling her provider all these things. And now that she is, now she's getting the care that she needs and maybe yeah. it's realistic. Cause it is, what did it say? Nine months later. So it wasn't exactly like she woke up from the hospital and then she decided to sell the house. Yeah. So I think that the nine months later is doing a lot of work there.
0: <laughs> oh, was it, was there a delay between?
1: Uh... Yeah, I think the, at least, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping someone corrects me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like, they faded to black out of the hospital and then I'm pro- I want to say it said nine months or something months oh, later. that would make sense because her
0: face was all healed and everything. See, I had no exactly of time yeah. in this movie. My goodness,
1: <laughs> it was weird. Well, it was, it was weird, weird, right? Because it's it's you know having your whole movie plot take place in the course of a week is is unique. Um, and then for it to go from that where you're expecting like the next day and the next day and the next day, and then it goes nine months. Yeah, there's a little bit of whiplash there.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a yeah. detail, 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 yada, 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 you know, et cetera. Ending, you know,
1: nine months of therapy and yeah. now she's got makeup on and is ready to move out and back into the world,
0: <laughs> which, okay. If she did do meaningful therapeutic work around her trauma and her grief, nine months is enough time for someone to heal regardless sure. of the intensity of something. So if we imagine that her therapist was suddenly exactly who she needed and they got her on exactly the right medication that she needed and she used those two experiences to truly confront her mental health sure that can definitely happen i just think that it would have looked differently
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's that's important And that's why I want more exposition. Like, if you're just going to give us one character's point of view, you know, don't let nine months pass by. Give us some internal dialogue of, and then I found a new therapist, and I was able to work (laughs) through all the things that I've been through. And now, you know what? I'm ready to move out of this house, right? Um, As opposed to her just, like touching the banister where she witnessed another murder and was almost murdered herself. Yeah. 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 It it was, you know, it was light switchy. And I think that's, that's the, where movies come up a little bit short, I think, in fully exploring the, the, the weight and the impact of mental health issues is Mm -hmm. that you have to do nine months later sometimes, because if you wanted to do every, you know, a uh, breakthrough moment of therapy, that would be a, probably a whole nother movie or that would yeah. be a TV show.
0: Absolutely. This, that nine months definitely would have needed it. It at least yeah. needed a transition scene.
1: <laughs> I No, I agree. I agree. And I think they tried to do that with the police officer sort of like acknowledging that, you know, no one believed her and they all should have. And I think mm-hmm. this is sort of a good point for us to end on, which is that nobody believed Anna and what she was experiencing it all turned out to be true, but at the same time, it was also true that she was also in the midst of a mental health crisis, yes. and I think sometimes for people that gets those like those cannot happen at the same time, and of course they can, right? People can be hallucinating and also having very real traumatic experiences. People yes. can be having anxiety and also able to carry on successful relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So this sort of middle path, I think is, is really important for mental health to be portrayed accurately, that it, that the extremes don't happen always in isolation. There can be multiple um, aspects of someone's experience that are important to be portrayed.
0: I absolutely agree with all of that. So,
1: yeah. And I guess if there's another, yeah, well, I was just going to say, if there's another takeaway, right. It's like, if we're talking to people outside of this movie, it's, you know, when someone says they're depressed or when someone says uh, they're anxious or they want to get help, you know, be the person that says, uh, yes, good, you should get some help or, yeah. you know, that sort of validation is such an important part of the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
1: right, yeah.
0: also what's so interesting is sometimes in order to be helpful, we humans try to be like no you don't have to worry about that that's you're being irrational right where sometimes they're not right like if that's
1: right if
0: somebody's husband is a bull rider and they have this deep-seated anxiety that their husband might die or get seriously injured yeah your husband might die or get seriously injured like that is a dangerous sport so then to be like he'll be fine is actually not helpful. I believe the term is toxic positivity, right? And so kind of recognizing that honoring a person's experience, whether it's true or not, is sometimes a great place to start with support and then working with them to get to a place where the way they're interacting with the world is functional and meaningful.
1: Right. So there's, there is a way to agree with the person's emotional experience right Mm -hmm. um to validate that without having to you know you don't have to understand you don't have to have experienced it yourself yeah but you can just acknowledge that their experience is true to them and that that's mm-hmm. enough, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, and you know, in uh, certain forms of therapy, when we talk about reflection. It's mm-hmm. you know, literally just saying back what a patient has said to you uh, yeah. back to them. You know, I hear you saying this, and that's such a, a basic skill. But it's something that a lot of times people don't experience in their lives. And for someone to be heard and be validated is such a valuable experience in them. Then being willing to to do more work and do more reflection of the things they're struggling with,
0: yeah. That's a great starting point. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. So this was this was a heavy one. <laughs> yeah,
0: it was a very heavy one. So on a scale from one to five, garden hose—the like three pronged one that went through her cheek—which Oh gosh, me out. yeah.
1: The man, that was a uh, unnecessary. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> My note was just ooh no.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: How entertaining do you think it was?
1: So, I appreciate you asking me the entertaining one because that's the one I'm struggling more with. <laughs> because you know, I love I love a lot of these actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. It is of uh, some. There are some compelling performances, mm-hmm. and yet. I, I agree with a lot of the uh, negative reviews. It, it yep. hasn't, doesn't get great reviews in that it's sort of um, a little schlocky is sort of the word that mm-hmm. gets thrown around, which is like, it's a little bit played out for for thrills, right? And mm-hmm. we and in some ways we do sort of see the twists coming mm-hmm. um, because I, I watched the trailer before watching the movie and the trailer immediately sets up this sort of problem with whether or not Anna's experiences are real or not. And I kind of wish that the trailers didn't do that. Just sort of like, you know, let us experience it along with the character and sort of decide for ourselves as opposed to us already knowing that there's something that is not being believed or there's something suspicious going on. Yeah, Um, That might just be my own pet peeve, but.
0: Trailers really give away movies these days.
1: uh, Yeah, it's, it's, they haven't, they haven't really figured it out. But so, so to answer your question, out of like the, the mini garden hose, um, gosh, out of five, I mean, it's, I can't put it over a 2.5, but I want to get close. So let's just say it's like a 2.45. Okay. There were things about it that were entertaining. I was, I was into it. like I, I wasn't distracted. like So in the sense of like it is a psychological thriller, so it does hold your attention. I'm just not sure it was entertaining once it had my attention
0: yeah i would not give it anywhere near two <laughs> i'm like eh, okay pulled, so it was even lower for you, you. Low totally yeah. fair i didn't find it entertaining at all and i don't i do not usually like suspenseful movies so there was a brief moment where i was like oh no why did i agree to watch this and then that one quickly <laughs> and then kind of nothing happened and then it was just gross <laughs>
1: yeah yeah well you know um And it's funny because I I was the one that suggested this movie, and because I remember hearing when it was coming out that um you know Amy Adams might get an Oscar nomination, and I was thinking oh great like you know a a great subject for us to cover agoraphobia, a great actor portrayal, and then it kind of turns out to be not what was promised or not what we were hoping it to be, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, I was kind of (laughs) bored.
1: Right, right. So Haley, now I get to ask you, and I want to see if you if you recognize why I'm asking it this way, but out of five Captain Americas, um, uh-huh. how accurate did you feel the woman in the window was in portraying, obviously, a, a multitude of mental health issues going on right. here, so you don't have to pick any one, but just yeah. broadly speaking.
0: Totally. Um, that's so funny. I was going to talk about how we're starting to have a lot of repeat um, actors in, our, in the things that yes. we're watching.
1: We had both Captain Americas in this movie.
0: I know! I know! No, I give it I would probably a two for this one as well. And the yeah. reason why is I think whether it's her agoraphobia or whatever it is that Ethan has got going on and her like the development of and the portrayal of therapy, all three of those things I think were done poorly. And I think it was kind of hacky in like kind of the the example I gave earlier that was like random fact, random fact, random fact, da-da-da-da-da, ending. That's how it felt like they portrayed all the mental health things as well and the therapy and yep. everything. So maximum two, probably. Yeah. There's two Captain America, so maybe I should give it a two.
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But
0: you know, even one. Like, I, it, I don't think it did a great job at all.
1: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's important for us to cover examples where the, the examples are not great because, yeah. you know, what even if we can give feedback and sort of talk about what we wouldn't want people to take away from this in terms of what's inaccurate about it, I think is, is valuable as well. So, um, you know, if you're trying to do a case study on agoraphobia, maybe there are very small moments about this movie that could be useful and sort of... Uh-huh you know breaking that down but everything else feels pretty far removed from reality yes, is that absolutely. fair to say
0: okay. i completely yeah. agree yeah. yeah
1: that's how i feel yeah.
0: yeah so what do we have coming
1: up yeah so we have some exciting stuff coming up this summer we're going to be doing a a big picture breakdown of in treatment uh, hbo series that has returned after a several hi- hiatus this is technically season 4 And we're going to kind of get into the weeds with each of the main characters. You know, it's going to be, if you are a therapist, um, Mm -hmm. we're going to be doing a lot of therapy breakdown, which I'm sort of excited about. It might be a little geeky for us. So, you know, they might be shorter episodes. We're going to see how it goes, but um, we're going to have a lot of fun with that later on this summer. um, In addition uh, to some other things coming out soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that summer series um, in treatment will be in August. And then if you want to follow along a couple weeks before that we will do frozen two next week. And then Ted Lasso the week after that, right before season two comes out.
1: Yes. Very much looking forward to those recordings as always.
0: Me too. Okay, great.
1: All right. Well, Haley, thank you. And and for everyone listening, thank you all so much. Um, um, Follow and subscribe anywhere you listen. um, And uh, we hope to be talking to you again next week.
0: Talk at you soon. (music) Thank <music> you.